Hey, Philo community, we're back. Welcome to our podcast. Hopefully you've been having a great summer. VBS is over, you're getting a little break. But for some of you, kids are back to school, which means summer's over. So sad. For the rest of us, the ministry season kickoff is upon us, which means routine is here, which might be good for some of you and not so good for others of you. But I know I like kind of the routine of the regular year. I mean, I love the summer, don't get me wrong, but yeah, routine is good. Anyway, if this is your first time listening to our podcast, our goal is to help technical artists in the local church to become more effective so that our churches can become more effective. Basically, an extension of the Philo Conference all year round. And speaking of the Philo Conference all year round, if you've been following the Philo story, you know we've added another Philo Conference to the calendar in Anaheim, California on November 5th and 6th of this year, 2019. And we're super excited. Can't wait. We've been assembling some great breakout teachers and some of our favorite main session speakers will be there as well. If you live near the West Coast, yeah, you might want to consider coming to our new Philo location, which will be the same vibe as the Philos we've been doing in Chicago for the last five years. And if you live in colder places, yeah, November's a nice time to come to Southern California. I'm just saying, as somebody who lives in a colder place, I'm going to be there. Anyway, you could check out our website for all the information, philo.org. Speaking of Philo Conference, one of our main session speakers from Philo Chicago, and we'll also be showing this at the Philo Anaheim, Ola Melzig, we did an interview with him. He's the head of production for the Eurovision Song Contest. Uh, and if you've never heard of this, it's basically the largest televised live production event in the world every year. They do it once a year. And the cool thing is that this past year's Eurovision, which was in Tel Aviv, is currently being shown on Netflix. So you can go there, check it out, just type in Eurovision, and you will have your production mind blown. It's, I think, 25 different acts that all look very different with over-the-top production value. Yeah, one after another, and it's live, so it's crazy. All right, enough about that. Let's get to the actual podcast. I got a chance to sit down with Luke McElroy, who's the owner of Orange Shirt Media and the founder of the Salt Conference. So we got to talk about his story, what matters to him. We talked a bit about his current book, Creative Potential, and about the Salt Conference, and yeah, it was great to hear his heart. And I think you'll enjoy this episode of the Philo Podcast. Anyway, let's listen in. Luke, how's it going? I'm doing very well, Todd. It is an honor to be uh, with you today. <laughs> nice. Uh, so some of you may know Luke from the SALT Conference, which is, I think, how we've sort of connected. A lot of times in the podcast, we talk a little bit about how we first met. So my first memory of Luke McElroy, besides maybe social media and a few other things, was we had dinner together with Dennis Choi in Nashville. And I, I just remember I ate Nashville hot chicken nachos. <laughs> that was a WFX, was it not? It was, yeah. So that just yeah. a totally random factoid. My first time eating Nashville hot chicken and in nacho form. I mean, you can't go wrong. And then first time meeting you, so... And I think it was at a legitimate restaurant that I vouched for the hot chicken. I don't think it was like a touristy restaurant. Yeah, no, I think I asked you, what should I get? And you're, you're like the Nashville hot chicken. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. like a, it wasn't a chain restaurant. It was like a, like a foodie kind of a place. Yeah. So we have a lot of those here. Yeah. <laughs> and that was, uh, I don't know, three, two or three years ago. Yeah. And we I've immediately bonded just over our heart for what creatives and technicians can do in the church environment and the culture of this day and age. I mean, I think that's a, a, a huge conversation that 
caused you and I just to go, wow, yeah, we, we totally see this thing the same way that they're superheroes in today's church. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, from the outside looking in, uh, the two of us having a conversation right now, uh, I can imagine a lot of people think, oh, we're, you know, SALT and Philo Conference are in competition with each other. And I would say uh, there are so many people that uh, need to be encouraged and inspired and developed that people that go to SALT have never heard of Philo and vice versa, like that there's, Mm -hmm. uh, and then when I think about the fact that 10 years ago, there was nothing. And so I'm like, let's, let's pile it on uh, as much as we can. One of my favorite things, Todd, that a lot of even my team may not even be fully aware of is both of us have sent each other emails on the eve of a conference and just said, Hey, understand what's going through your head, praying for you, we're with you. And so I can just vouch for the fact that SALT team and SALT community is as much with Philo community as I feel the, the love in, in yeah. reverse. So. Yeah, so cool. Yeah, I love it. Like I said, there's enough to go around. And the more churches that become better because of people being developed, yeah, I'm all for it. So, And here's something, I mean, we may get into this later, but um, I think something I'd say right off the top, Todd, that just has been sort of a mantra of my life is that when you feel the confidence of heaven behind you, you need to run with the confidence of the cross in front of you. Hmm. And so just because a great friend of mine named Todd does an event that on the outside may look similar in certain ways or serve a similar community, doesn't mean that I have to question whether or not what God has called me to is from God. Sure. And that helps me co- sort of look at this and go, wow, kingdom perspective. I've got to champion and and fight for the phylos of the world just as much as I champion and fight for the salts of the world because God called me to salt, but God called you to Philo. And that means that there is a divine and kingdom difference that both of us are supposed to pursue. Yeah, Yeah, that's cool. How did you get where you are now? Like, so you're, you're doing salt conference. You own a company called orange thread media. Is that right? Yeah. That's the parent. Yeah. Yeah. So you've also written a book, creative potential. I got it right here. My camera's not showing it very well to you, but um, no one can see it anyway, so never mind. Uh, so, uh, yeah, why don't you just talk about, I mean, how do you get from just being somebody who's interested in technology maybe to leading a conference, uh, owning a company, writing a book? Like, I don't even know where to begin. Well, so. you know, I, I grew up in Atlanta, and as people know, Atlanta is, if not the buckle of the Bible Belt, it's just south of the buckle of the Bible Belt. Yeah. And um, it, it really is, I think, sort of the heart of so many beautiful and amazing ministries that have birthed um, movements in the church. I mean, you and I were just talking about passion, but also the home of North Point, the home of John Maxwell, the home of Catalyst. And so the culture that I grew up in was was very much a, you know, kingdom forward, using creativity to sort of further the message and gospel of Jesus. So anyway, but I also grew up as a tech nerd. And I don't know if anyone listening to this resonates to this, but when I was in high school and even in middle school, when it was Christmas time, I was asking for like par 64 cans, <laughs> you know, and I was asking for dimmer packs. And I was asking for, I mean, a lot of this stuff now I laugh at because it was like American DJ and Chauvet totally, back wow. before Chauvet was good. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was asking for sure 58 microphones. Yeah, just, <laughs> I, I look at that and I'm like, you are a, a tech schooler. nerd. <laughs> yes, and I was in middle school and my parents gave me a, a space downstairs in our basement where I got to build a, a stage okay. and I, I got a chance to sort of like quote unquote have concerts. I mean, we put together this like kabuki system with paper clips and a bed sheet. And I mean, it just, anyway, it's sort of crazy, but that was just sort of the environment my parents championed. And, 
and sort of raised me in and just allowed my curiosity to wander, if you will. Cool, yeah. And, and meanwhile, I was being mentored and discipled by some tech guys in, in the church that helped me realize that, you know, life is not just about gadgets and creativity. And it's about leveraging the giftedness that God's given you to, to sort of help kingdom gain and to really see that creativity and technology is just as much as a ministry as it is a support for ministry. Sure, yeah. And that shifted everything, Todd. Yeah. I mean, that just foundation, especially going into high school and, and even college that way, will just sort of give you a, a, a launching pad. And so if there's anybody out here listening that has some tech volunteers, creative team members that are in high school or middle school, man, I just want to encourage you, continue to champion them no matter how much they're on their phone, no matter how much they're texting their friends while they're serving, no matter how many missed cues, like just <laughs> keep pouring into them because you don't know what sort of outcome is going to happen. Yeah. And that foundation is huge. You know what, uh, but, hearing you say that, sorry, just to interrupt real quick, yeah. that idea of uh, not just a group of people serving other people during doing ministry, but actually a ministry to itself. Uh, yeah, that was a big turning point for me also. Just a huge shift in I'm a part of what God's doing, not only in our yeah. church, but in me and the people on our team. And it's not just supporting other people that God is using and doing something through. And I think those tech guys and my youth pastor encouraging me to connect with the tech team in quote unquote big church as a middle school or high school, honestly, Todd set the foundation that I could actually be used in the kingdom of God, which just fast tracked my discipleship plan, fast tracked my faith walk, fast tracked my journey with Jesus. And then I, I go as far to say that I heard Doug Fields out of Saddleback, who was okay. you know a champion of youth ministry. He said two years ago at a conference, he said, I think we should stop measuring our churches by the number of people in seats on Sunday, but instead start measuring the success of our churches by the number of people who serve on Sunday. Okay. And he really un, you know, packed this whole idea that I had in a personal journey of because someone let me serve is the reason that I am as deep in my faith as I have, because it's not just watching something, it's participating in something. Right, and right. So anyway, that was sort of like the foundation I grew up in. And so when I sort of started questioning, what do I do with my life? I thought it was start a youth camp and build this thing for future kid presidents and future CEOs and help people understand their influence. In the world. That was just that tag. I kept coming back to help understand, help people understand their influence, in the world. help people understand their influence in the world. And honestly, through a circumstances of events, which I share a little bit about that in the book, um, basically I learned that it was not a camp. God had never had that in store. And every <laughs> single time I tried to run that direction, there was roadblock, there was waiting, there was pausing. And so one day in Atlanta, after I'd been in college for several years, um, I came back home and basically God just sort of through a circumstances of events, um, clarified for me, it was never a camp. It was a conference and, sure. and really it was a community, which was bigger than just a three-day event, but it really was to help creatives and technicians and those who serve behind the scenes in the church, those who are the first in and last out, as you say, yeah. they have immense influence in not only the environments that they serve, but they have an influence in culture. And when we think about that, that, that phrase that kept coming back to me over and over and over in those early days were, was that phrase, helping people understand their influence. Well, I realized, Todd, it was this community in the church that too often the big C church or culture at large has said, you don't have influence on the church because you serve behind the scenes. 
And I started realizing, no, 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 no. These are the magicians of today's church. They're the ones who pull rabbits out of their hats in meetings. They're the ones who solve the giant engineering problems of getting the message of the church out to the entire community or online around the world or whatever that challenge is. Right, and right. that just became sort of my pursuit and my passion. Sure. When did uh, SALT actually start? Like, what was your first event? So our first our first meeting as a team was somewhere in the 2011 timeframe. We, we were planning to have a February 2013 event. And there's another funny story in the book I share about that. But that whole thing went to hog and I mean, <laughs> it just went to, you know, yeah. heck in a handbush. And it just because... <laughs> There was this moment with the church that basically was like, hey, it's all yours. It's your building. You can do whatever you want. And then like the day before we were going to announce it, the facility guy walks in and basically goes, nope, not going to happen. And I'm like, what? Wow. <laughs> We've been working on this for two years. <laughs> yeah. And so, but our first real gathering was uh, in downtown Nashville, Salt 13. So October okay. 2013. Wow. And we did four consecutive years before we did the craziest thing we've ever attempted. And that was a tour. Yeah. Maybe offline so, we could talk about how that went. Yeah, yeah. I think you and I talked a little bit about yeah. that. It's some of the best ministry we've had, and we've built some of the greatest relationships. But, man, a tour is tough. Yeah. And, but it's really cool that we've sort of stepped back into that three-day gathering and just seen immense momentum and excitement from this community as we've sort of gathered again. Sure, yeah. So you're doing tech stuff in your parents' basement. You're doing kabuki drops uh, yeah, you know, yeah. just for fun. Uh, salt isn't the the only thing you do, but you're, you're leveraging technology in other ways. So maybe just talk about that a little bit, like what? Yeah. So when I was in that sort of time period of trying to figure out if this was a camp or a conference, I started a company called Orange Thread. And at the time we did custom media development for a lot of the touring Christian artists coming out of Nashville. We since have stopped that. Content development is really not my gift and not my passion. And so okay. it was just burden. I mean, it was just a, I shouldn't say burden. It was a, it was a chore to, to sort of execute that. So we started at the same time doing event support. And a lot of what would happen is we would work with a artist that was going to go on the tour. We would quote unquote engineer their whole video system or their tech system, and then uh, send them out with content. Well, we learned that it was that engineering part that I had a gift in and that we had a team that I could build around that. So that spurred the start of Orange Thread Live. Okay. And we celebrated 10 years last oh, wow. October. And it's just been a, amazing. I mean, we've had an opportunity to work with some unbelievable people. I mean, Kroger, AT&T, Samsung. Uh, I could name drop for days, but the, the, the neat thing is, is that God has just opened up door after door after door as we get a chance to craft what we call experiences, not events. For people here in the national area on the corporate side, uh, convention, and of course, I've, I've had an honor to do a bunch of um, faith-based events as well that have been a lot of depth and meaning. Orange Conference, Catalyst, LeaderCast being some of the bigger there. Sure, yeah. But that's obviously sort of the lifeblood of what I do on a regular basis is I am behind a computer. I'm behind a console. I'm you know, on intercom. I, I live that tech life in many ways when I'm not you know, championing the salt community. Yeah, right. I'd be curious for you too. I find that staying connected in those roles helps you remember what it's like to be a tech person. Totally. Uh, as opposed to just being somebody up front talking about how valuable it is, like you're doing it normally. Right. And I never want to like tell the church how to be the church without realizing what that being the church means myself. Yeah. And I think that's important. I think 
you know, you and I, I think even talked a little bit about this, Todd, but that there's uh, tension in this sort of space of doing conferences, convince, uh, events, training, equipping, all that for sort of this tech community that it's easy to sort of not be in the church and sort of tell the church how to be the church. Yeah, and that yeah. was something from day one, we sort of vowed to, as a conference, that we want to always be the church, telling the church how to be the church. And we want to get out of the way to let the church tell the church how to be the church. Yeah. And so serving in those, you know, creative conferences, being a part of, you know, low budget teams. Um, I still serve at my church every week. Now I actually choose to serve in the parking lot. Perfect. Because to me, that's serving the kingdom more than it is working with my gifts and talents. And I just go, it'll seem like work if I, right, you know, right. pro presenter or, you know, do media or whatever. But so anyway, I think that's just a, a huge piece for me personally, just to, to know that I am serving in the same way that all the guys we serve are. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. Okay. So I've been reading your book, some really great stuff in here. And I thought I would just maybe call out a couple things yeah. for us to talk about. And uh, I guess I would just say uh, reading your story of how, you know, just God moving and working and whispering to you, it felt real similar in so many ways, you know, the... I tell people that, you know, you may be reading my story, but I say this through the book. I don't think it's just my story. I think in many ways, it's all of our story. And that simple arc is you feel like God calls you to something. You start running towards that call and you hit a roadblock. And the, I think the, the the whole reason I even shared my story was to basically help everyone realize it's all of our story that we're going to hit roadblocks in our calling. And the question is not, do you quit or shift, but it's more, do you listen and lean in a little bit more yeah. to that whisper to yeah. go, I trust that this is from God. Yeah. And I think even to know that I uh, hit a roadblock, it's time to lean in and, whis- and listen, I think is so great because I even look at my own life right now, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you uh, if I did not have those moments where I don't know what to do or you know, just kind of hitting a roadblock and saying, all right, God, what do you want me to do? And then not only leaning in and listening, but then doing something about it. Um, I think yeah. to start a company, to start a conference from thin air, that's not something that you just do because it sounds like fun. Yeah. But it's something that you heard God, you listened, and then you obeyed, which I think is well, so and great. I, and I think something that I, I sort of unpack a little bit is this idea that I think there's a tension in the world of a good idea and a God idea. And that leaning in and, and listening to that whisper of God is going to help you and I clarify that in our journey. And God's going to always confirm his plan for you over and over and over. God will never contradict himself. So if you sense a contradiction, it's either of the enemy or it's not of God. It's of yourself or whatever. And one of the sure. things I share in the book is this idea that the enemy will oftentimes use a good idea to rob us of the God idea in our life. Huh. And I look at this youth camp as it, it may not have been a evil spirit, enemy, Satan, whatever, using that to detract from the conference. But I definitely was allowing my attachment to the youth camp idea for the enemy to go, oh, that's not what you're going to end up doing. So you just keep being attached to that because you're going to think it's a God idea. But if you lean in, it's not. And at some point I had that sort of epiphany. And I realized, wow, I was letting a good idea that was kingdom based that seemed like it was all, but not only was my skill set not prepared for that and my influence not prepared for that, but my trajectory wasn't ready for that either. Right, and right. I realized I've got to let that good idea go so that the God idea in me can spur up and I can really start to figure out what does my kingdom creative potential look like. 
Yeah, I think uh, one of the things that's interesting to me about uh, having an idea that you're working really hard on that maybe is not work, you know, it's not working itself out. That as a tech person, I feel like I'm a responsible person and I'm a problem solver, and so mm. I'm not going to let go of this thing until I don't want to like. I want to be responsible and I'm going to solve the problem. And I think sometimes it's easy to get trapped in that, you know, who God has made me to be to go after something longer than maybe I should. Well, and there's a balance in that, right? I mean, I think sometimes we can, in this Western American culture, we can sort of believe that if it's not gaining traction or getting success quick, if, if we don't hit a thousand Instagram followers quick or something doesn't get enough social media approval, if you will, we, we sort of are willing too early. And I think I learned in this whole journey myself that God cares far more about process than he does about end product. He cares about the journey he's going to walk with you through all this, which is why I look back and maybe what you're saying of like, sometimes we want to sort of invest so much in that process and then sort of figuring out the journey. I think God doesn't look at that as wasted time. Someone asked right. me once, well, what it, do you consider all that youth group or youth ministry, youth camp thing, wasted time? I go, not at all. Because it was in that process that I actually learned to trust God. And if I hadn't done that, you, I mean, here's sort of an analogy. I don't think you can microwave God's calling on your life. It has to be a slow cooker, yeah. right? I mean, even with this invention of the Instapot, where you can sort of like <laughs> put a, something in it, seal it five minutes and it's done. Well, a normal, you know, slow cooker crock pot, is going to take hours. Right. And I think sometimes in this American culture of hustle, 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 hard, 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 go, go, go. We think that our doing is the very thing that's going to be, you know, connected to our calling. And, and we just get that so messed up because what I've learned personally, and I think so many others would resonate with this, God cares far more about your being than you're doing Yeah, and who you are in relationship with him and the person you're becoming as he's molding and shaping and, and tweaking you, then the task you do, right? Right. Then, then what the outcome is. So and I think it's really interesting, again, coming back to this idea of being a responsible person. As a tech person, there's so much that I am trying to control. Just in a service, in an event, I'm trying to take care of all the details and then nail them all. You know, just mm. And to do that, they, I need to have control over them. And I think it's, it's a little bit of a trap that we fall into that we're so used to being in control that it's hard for us to let go of it and let somebody else have control. Totally. Especially, uh, I mean, just frankly, the whole God thing, it, there's a mystery to it and it doesn't always make sense. And I'm supposed to let go to something that I don't totally understand. Just it's, I think it's counter to probably how most of us live. But when I think about just t being a tech person, everything we do is about order and control and, and, you want me to do the opposite of that. Uh, just it's. And, and honestly, Todd, that's just the picture of faith, right? I mean, I think yeah. that's why God says it's faith, not works that really allows us to draw close to him. And you look at Jesus. I mean, Jesus had all the power in the world to do what he could do to get himself off that cross. He had all the weight of heaven at his disposal to, to basically save himself from yeah. the cross as, as scripture says, but but yet he took the same step of scary, crazy faith that God asks us to take. And he said, I'm willing to die 
so that you can have a relationship. And I just think that's such a beautiful model of this idea of, yeah, we want to control everything around us. Yeah. Listen, Jesus was in the same boat. He didn't want to go through all that. Right. Right. Yeah. And so maybe when we release that control, when we have a little bit more faith, that is actually us drawing closer to God in the process than when we control, are we boxing God out and sort of saying, Hey, you, you can't be a part of this story. I think I can do it better than you can. Yeah. And I think also my thinking about it is that we're doing it unconsciously. We're boxing God out without even realizing it because of, in some ways, how we're wired up. That's so good because you're right. I mean, as, as tech people who, who control environments that we walk into, who in many times have our fingers on the faders, both physically and metaphorically speaking, I, I think you're right. It's a subconscious uh, control that we may sometimes don't even realize. Yeah, so just uh, for in my own life, it's taken a lot of intentionality to break out of that. Yeah, so good to be reminded of. Uh, so back to something you said earlier, which is something I had written down for us to talk about, is the quote uh, from your book, God is more concerned about process than product. Mm. And I think that's just on its own, in some ways, a controversial statement, for, again, for tech people. Yeah. Because I think, you know, the process all day long being wonderful and failure in the product, you know, just it's, uh, I'd just love to throw that yeah, out let's to take, talk let's about. Take the, yeah, let's take the biblical story of Nehemiah, who may be one of my favorite characters in all of scripture. And one of the reasons I love him so much, Todd, is that I think he is in many ways the perfect picture of the guy who relates to the tech, creative, media, uh, communications person in the church. They serve behind the stage uh-huh. uh, or behind the scenes. They set the table for the congregation, if you will. Yeah. And if you think about it, a cupbearer is someone who has to sort of go ahead and prepare a place. Um, they have to take the risk, if you will, to drink the wine. I mean, as a friend of mine, Glenn Packham says, you know, the only reason that the, the role of cupbearer would become available is because uh, <laughs> they may have sort of passed in their previous right. the person before they may have passed away. Right. And so talk about big shoes to fill. But, you know, look at the story of Nehemiah. God called him to build a wall. And the reason that I think process is so much more important than product is when you read the story of Nehemiah, though it was about rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem and sort of protecting the people, if you will, from all the outside forces. I really think when you read that story, it's about becoming church, becoming a community of believers who will work together for the kingdom of God. And in almost the exact opposite of the Tower of Babel story of we're going to do this in spite of God, Nehemiah is the story of we're going to work together with God. It's not a for God, it's a with God. And I think um, the reason I say it's not about end product is that I don't know if you've been over to Israel or seen Jerusalem with your very own eyes, but um, you'll learn that in Jerusalem and in Israel, there's really three temple periods. Uh, the first temple period is sort of when Jerusalem sort of first started, the wall came down. Second temple period is what Nehemiah built. And then third temple period is sort of what Jesus lived. But what they don't tell you is that what we see today is quote unquote, fourth temple period, which isn't really a real phrase, but it's really modern Jerusalem. Sure. Okay. And every time it keeps getting built up and there's only like one or two sections of current day Jerusalem that you can see second temple period wall, Okay. which is in many ways, the wall Nehemiah built. built. Yeah. Which means that the reason God doesn't care about product is that though the wall may have done something, 
I believe that God has all the power in the world to basically choose anyone to build that wall. Yeah. But the reason he chose Nehemiah is because he cared about the heart of Nehemiah and the journey Nehemiah was going to walk on as he became cupbearer to the king of kings, not just cupbearer to the king. Uh-huh. And it's about understanding influence. It's about understanding your place in the world. It's about understanding that your influence is not just for you to gain platform or get something out of the product that God wants to do, but it's about this process of helping you realize when, as Andy Stanley says, when you walk in the room and you realize you're the most powerful person in the room, what do you do? You leverage that power for everyone else. Uh-huh. And that's the the strength of a great leader. I'd say the same thing about processes, helping you understand that for Jesus, it was all about process. He had to go through that process in order to open up heaven for all of us. Sure, right. And I guess thinking about that in terms of uh, the product, if it were up to me, Jesus' story would not end that way. You know, it's like right. I, I, I can't even conceive of that that's success, you know, the, you know, that he dies on the cross just because of my human brain and my own understanding. And I think that's uh, when I read that statement, that was kind of, I don't disagree with you. But I also know that in the world that we live in, the product matters somewhat. If you're well, talking, here, if you're talking we, about my life, okay, now I, this uh, takes on a different meaning. And I think I, when I read it, I was thinking about in terms of yeah, what what we're about as technical artists in the local church. Well, let me say this, and this may be where this gets controversial, but I think product matters to those who don't love you unconditionally. Those okay. product matters to those who love you conditionally. Okay. Um, and let me tell a story to sort of uh, illustrate that point that I'm trying to make. At Salt 13, I'll never forget, which was our first gathering. It had taken us two years to sort of get there. I met with our sort of core team in the chapel just right before we opened doors. And Todd, I broke down in tears. I could not speak. And I think I was just overwhelmed by the graciousness of sort of coming to this point of realizing that God had been planning this for decades and I never realized it. Sure. But what's funny is I remember talking to my parents at the end of that conference. And, and so what I'm saying is that I thought it was all about doing the conference. Uh-huh. My parents on the flip side, they had served that conference and they came up to me just with tears. And they just said, Luke, we're so proud of what you've done and, and, and this whole event and how it's kingdom based. And it hit me when they told me that, that they didn't see all the flaws in Salt 13's programming. Right. They didn't see all the mishaps in logistics and scheduling and lack of parking and bad food and the fire department <laughs> showing up right before we opened doors and all these stories because what they were proud of was I was becoming who God was making me to be. Uh-huh. It had nothing to do with a three-day event or 251 people in that first gathering or being in the crux of Music City and, and, and changing the narrative of saying that we don't just need to be about, you know, music city, but this could be a place that's a launching pad for the kingdom to see creativity different. But they looked at me as their son and said, uh, we're so proud of who you are becoming yeah, or who you've become. It had nothing to do with the end product. And so I'd say that gave me such a picture of, is that not what God says when we really step into our calling? He's like, listen, that, that three-day conference, that's great, but that was just a tool for you and I to draw closer together, for you to step into more of who I made you to be, for you to understand the giftedness I gave you is for a purpose that's far greater than you. And so the product is just the, the mechanism. It's right. just sort of the carrot, if you will, on a stick that we're running towards. Sure, yeah. And so I would say that those around us who don't love us unconditionally would say that 
our success is based on the product we provide them because that's a conditional love. Sure. And, and I think that's important to know is, is who's your audience. If your calling is defined by the congregation you serve, then that's a conditional love. Sure. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I don't want a conditional calling. I want an unconditional calling for an unconditional God who's going to love me unconditionally that's going to give me an unconditional sort of purpose and potential ahead of me. Sure, yeah. That's great. I mean, I think, too, in some ways, the statement, uh, when I think about it in terms of week in and week out, serving in a local church, it's almost like a, a circular statement because the maybe the product is every Sunday, mm-hmm. uh, but that then informs the process. So then it changes the product, which informs the process. And, you know, it's just the idea is that the product is not the end goal, but how does the product influence the process? Yeah. And something I've learned in 10 years of running a company, um, and you probably resonate a little bit with this as your team at Philo has grown and you guys are trying to, you know, get synergy collectively rather than individually, is that I've realized that if you focus on the product, your managerial style and your weekly conversations will be reactive. Right. Because as the product is shifting or your realization of what that end product is, it's a very reactive conversation. But if you focus on process, it's a very proactive conversation. And I don't really want to live a reactive life with God. I want to live a proactive life with right, God. Right. And and I think that that also sort of yeah, cements this idea that God cares about the process because he wants to be proactive in your life with your life rather than reactive with what you've done with the gifts. Now let's uh, pretend that somebody is listening to this podcast that maybe serves on a, on a production team in his local church. He does not necessarily the leader. Maybe she's a pro presenter operator or something, you know, kind of in the mechanism of the team, Mm -hmm. uh, but not leading the team. I mean, is there a way to, I mean, I can have my own process uh, that matters more than the product. I can work on myself, but I mean, is there a way to influence better process so that the, you know, in my church, so that the product is the end result of this improved process? Yeah. I mean, I'm a huge believer that anyone has influence in any organization. It just sometimes takes time to earn that influence. And, you know, I'm just a huge advocate that, Influence comes by serving and doing the things that you're responsible for really well. Yep, yep. And your leader is going to naturally say, wow, that whatever whatever Sally over here is touching just turns to gold. I'm, I'm going to continue to open up opportunities. And sometimes I think we can get into an entitlement issue in the area we serve, especially for volunteers. And, and if I can speak, and I don't know how many listening are, are true volunteers, but maybe this is a, a training thing to help those who are staff members to walk their volunteers through. But I always say entitlement starts somewhere. And entitlement's a big thing that I see in the tech teams and creative teams because when you start believing that, oh, that's my role, I've always done it that way. Yeah. Or when you start thinking or that that sort of concept seeps in of like, well, the other guy's just the backup. Or the other pro presenter op, she's just the backup, right? right, right. Uh, I'm the regular. Well, entitlement starts somewhere and that entitlement is only going to continue to climb. And if you look at the quote unquote stereotypical organizational ladder, entitlement is like a floor that's going to continue to increase and it's blurring your ability to see the next step in your ladder. Okay. And at some point when you say, and I say this to, to leaders and people who run organizations, if you're the leader 
of an organization or you own a business, you can never say the phrase, that's not my job. Because as the owner <laughs> yeah. of a business, everything's your job. Right, 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 yeah. And so that means that I also say, encourage your team to quote unquote, feel like they own as much as they can. Because when they feel like they own, they won't say that's not my job. And so if we're talking to those on staff or we're talking to those on volunteer that are you know, more entry level or lower end of the totem poles, or you just report to a boss somewhere, I would just encourage you begin to own more, own your role more, own your area more, because as you own that, what's going to happen is when you stop saying that's not my job, you're going to lower that entitlement level. And when you lower that entitlement floor, it's going to open up opportunities for you to see that next ladder step. You're going to see that next stair, that next opportunity but when you say, I don't take the trash out, that's not my job. Right. Well, right. you've just raised the floor and that's not the heart of serving. That's the heart of people serve me. Sure. And that's just not the model Jesus gave us. And it's not the, the way that the church is going to, or your boss is going to open up. Cause I guarantee the reason that they got to where they are is because they served their way to where they are sure. in some way, shape or form, whether it was perseverance or, you know, sort of right place, right time, or they sure. just happen to have skill set. Right, right. Yeah, I think you're so right to be able to, if I'm running Pro Presenter and I'm killing it, uh, but then I have ideas about how to improve the process, someone's going to listen to me if I'm performing at an excellent level and not complaining and not saying, you know, it's it's not my job or whatever. But the door opens for someone to say, oh, that, let's try that out because you've proven yourself to, to uh, know what you're talking about. Yeah, let me tell a story maybe that will give a little bit more practicality to this. When I was in high school, I started serving in our youth ministry and tech ministry. And at this time, Todd, I I joke, it's not true, but at the time I joked that we had more lights than a Crowder show would, right? Or we had more lights in our youth ministry than a third day show at the time would, uh, which tells you a little more about the time period I'm talking about. But (laughs) But I just remember when I started serving, I I was given this beautiful gift by God of a thing called ADHD. Many who are listening probably would resonate with that statement. Yeah. So ADHD means I can't just sit in a service and listen. I kind of have to be touching things, doing things like it sort of preoccupies my mind so that I can engage in a deeper level. So I started serving on lights and learned DMX, learned an ETC expression console back in the day. Awesome. Um, Yeah. And we were doing moving lights and I was programming cues and all this stuff. And I just started realizing, man, lights are my thing. And it was my role every week, Uh right? It it started creeping into, oh, this is just what I do. That's, that's my job. And everything else isn't my job. This is my job. Yeah. And our tech minister at the time that was overseeing youth ministry, was a big church and they came to me and basically said, Hey, so the school that's a part of our church right. um, has a musical coming up in six months. And one of the students in that school wants to learn lighting so that when the musical comes, they can run lights themselves. Luke, would you mind running PowerPoint for a couple of weeks while they learn lights? Sure. Now I had a moment right there. Uh, <laughs> and, and that moment is I could either be entitled and say, that's not my job. Right. Or I could say, you know what? I want to serve. And I'm going to trust that even though they're going to come in, God's got a bigger plan in the grand scheme. And this is a process, not about product. Sure. So I gave up position. Now, Uh let me tell you this. The worst thing in the world you can do is put an ADHD middle schooler to run PowerPoint. (laughs) And at the time, it was white lyrics with a blue background. And I just had this idea. I thought, you know, what if I were to just own this? What if I were to not every single day be 
you know, have this grudge against Jacob, the lighting guy. And what if I weren't to be frustrated at my minister for saying that, you know, somebody else needed to learn? What if I just sort of came in and said, you know what, PowerPoint for the next four to six weeks is going to be my sort of laboratory, if you will. I'm going to own it and I'm going to push in. And so I did research and I found out about this crazy company called Digital Juice that had these moving backgrounds, right? It was like a whole new thing. So anyway, I personally invested in that. I owned that moment and I owned that next season. And the bad part was six weeks turned to six months, six months turned to a year because they kept pushing back the musical. And Uh I learned after a year, like, wow, if I had not owned that, I would have probably left my service position. And now I look at this, Todd, and I'm like, I am so glad that that season happened because (laughs) what I typically get invited into in live events is to create these multi-screen, large format, immersive visual video-based systems. If I had never let go of the entitlement of, oh, well, PowerPoint's not my job, I may have never seen where God was going to take me to today. And that's just a perfect example of when we say that phrase, that's not my job, or we get entitled, we literally cloud ourselves from seeing the next step. And we see it as a right. quote unquote demotion and we just run from it. So my encouragement would be sure. to those who are on staff, own your position, fall in love with it, serve well, because people are going to see that. And the church started seeing that. They would just give me more and more responsibility. Like, Man, we put him over on PowerPoint. He just owned that. It you know, blew up and he created all these incredible engaging environments. And that just opens up doors. But if I were instead had said in that moment, no, I really want to run this. He can shadow me. I literally would have sure, robbed yeah. my own self, not someone else. Right. And you know what? On some level, too, he would never have, uh, I don't know what that guy's doing now. He but, is one of the you know, head tech a- guys at Perimeter Church in Alfreda, Georgia, which is one of the largest Presbyterian churches. And I sit back and go, and he like became a certified electrician. And I go, oh, my gosh, I had also had the chance of robbing him of that exact <laughs> sure. story. Yeah. And I think most people listening probably have a moment in their story where somebody in my, in my story, somebody didn't show up. And so here I'm thrust into this. Okay. I guess I'll figure this out. And some people, you know, got invited to do something, but they were given a chance. And I think if those chances don't exist because you're too, you're hoarding that idea or you, you know, you, you know, unwilling to let go of my job. Yeah. You're robbing the kingdom of a chance to be expanded by one more person that can serve in the way God's made them. Because we've bought the lie that God needs us to do something for a product rather than be with him in a process. Right. And the, that whole developing of people, that is part of the process. I mean, that just thinking about it, as you were saying that, thinking about people development and somebody learning something new, that's process that says, I mean, there's a product involved down the road, but if the product's the only thing that matters, then no new people will ever be developed because we want to put our best people on to get the best product. So good. Reggie yeah. Joyner has always said, who's the head of Orange and was part of the original 10 staff members at North Point, he used to say that you become most valuable to the organization that you work for when you replace yourself. Yeah. Because that now means you know how to multiply yourself, not position yourself. Sure, yeah. Yeah, so good. Anything about SALT you can tell us? Yeah, so SALT 19 is happening, and we're going to be back in Nashville, which is just a huge blessing to both ourselves and our community. But uh, the dates are really easy to remember. If you can remember 911, that's our date. So it's going to be October 9th through 11th, okay. 2019. And uh, we're just expecting, we're actually going to be talking about some of this idea of understanding your influence, not only the creative and technical influence that you may have in culture. But what does personal influence look like as someone who serves in this 
creative community in the church. Yeah. And uh, we really are, you know, looking, are going to look at that story of Esther, of this idea of such a time as this. Okay. You know, Esther may have been put into a place just for the purpose of leveraging her influence for the people that she had no clue were, were sort of looking to her to sort of help help them step into their potential. If you sure, will. yeah. So we're going to be looking at this idea of creative influence, kingdom influence, personal influence, cultural influence. And I'm super excited. I can't share anything else except <laughs> the dates uh, in this moment. So October 9 through 11, 911. You can go to salt19.com for all the details. Okay. Very cool. All right. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks, Todd. See ya. One thing I really loved about my conversation with Luke is just his awareness of spiritual things. I mean, as a tech person, it can be so easy to kind of put your head down and dig into the details and then miss what God is doing around you and in you. And I think Luke's story is a good reminder that God is working all around us and calling us to join him. And the real question is, are we paying attention? Yeah, I love that. I also just love Luke and his huge heart for those of us working in production in the local church. And it comes through in all the things he's about, his book and information on the SALT conference. You can find all that stuff at saltcommunity.com. And yeah, to hear more of Luke's heart, you can go to the SALT conference, which is in Nashville, in the Nashville area on October 9th through 11th. And yeah, it's worth checking out. They're also planning a trip to Israel in 2020. So you can learn about that too on their website, saltcommunity.com. All right. If you like our podcast, you could subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, all the places. And we'd love your review on iTunes. Yeah, it helps us spread the word. Don't forget to check out our website for all the info on Philo 2019 Anaheim. The price just went up on the tickets, but if you use the discount code PODCAST99, so all one word, lowercase, the number's 99, PODCAST99, you can get the tickets for 99 bucks. So that's over half off. I'm pretty sure you don't want to miss this opportunity. Anyway, if you're on our website, you can also sign up for Philo 2020 in Chicago. Well, we'd love to see you at either location or why not both? Um, and if you're on our website, you can also sign up for File 2020 in Chicago. All that stuff is there. There are resources there. There's a blog, old episodes of our podcast, and all that stuff can be found uh, on our website, philo.org. Uh, we're also on social media, at Philo Community on Facebook and Instagram, and at Philo Conference on Twitter. If you got feedback for us, future podcast ideas, main session speakers, something you want to know about Philo, we'd love to hear it. So give us an email, philopodcast at philo.org. All right, talk to you soon. Bye-bye.